The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. When I was in college, um, and I don't know if you remember these kind of moments, but uh, I remember, I think it was my junior, senior year, a book came out that was kind of prolific uh, it sent some ripples across the campus, and I'll tell you why in a second. It was a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye by a guy named Joshua Harris. Some of you may have read that book, and it changed your dating world. Well, it was interesting why it was so big, because I remember people reading it, and all these people I was in, in you know, friendship with, and they were dating other people, all of a sudden, they, there's all these, like, breakups happening. Like, if you looked on a map, it was like, you could see, like, breakup, breakup, breakup. And I was like, what, dude, what? I asked one of my friends one time, I said, what, why, why'd y'all break up? And he was like, I don't know, she read this book and then said, mm, I don't know if we should date. And I was like, man, that's kind of weird. What is this book? So I remember that. And it, and it was an interesting moment because way back in college, long before we had uh, social media was prolific and all these kind of things, um, it, it, it sent shockwaves through a campus at Baylor University of like, okay, here's an influence, an influencer, if you want to put it that way, um, that, that set the tone for the way people thought. So big that it changed people's lives. Like they rearranged, and as you even sung in a song, it built their life around it. Um, and it really is interesting how it's changed again, you know, all of those kind of things. But, <clears throat> you know, if you think about that kind of thing before even social media, now we're in an age, now it hasn't even been a decade yet, where the, the term influencer has become a big thing and a reality, right? You can go online, you can find an influencer in any sort of category that you want. Many of us follow them. And when uh, somebody you talk about, oh yeah, I'm following this influencer. It could be clothes, could be books, could be anything, right? Politics, whatever you, you think. I, I found a Forbes article that talked about this. It was, I thought it was interesting because it talked about the psychology of an influencer in their marketing. Listen to what they say. Influencer marketing is effective because it capitalizes on our most natural tendencies, emotions, and desires. Influencer marketing is word of mouth at scale where people listen to those they trust and those uh, who can use storytelling effectively. And when we dive into the psychological details, we find that natural emotions, fear of missing out, care, and relationship building play out digitally. Uh, isn't that what we're doing in any way? That's, that's what happened with the book. It's what happens with influencing. I'm about to read a passage for you that's from the Gospel of John. And it's interesting because influencing is not something new. We've put a title around it. But what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and we're kind of landing the plane today on this series that comes from, uh, we've titled the He Gets Us series, just taking the title from a popular commercial at the time, and and what Jesus really means. Who is Jesus? Not just in his humanity, but also his divinity. Who is the person and work of Jesus? Who is this? And honestly, what kind of influence he is. Um, You know, as we look at this passage, we'll talk about it in a couple ways, and you'll hear it uh, through the Spirit, the words, and the Holy One. And these are the three things, and I'll mention them again in a minute, but hear this from John chapter 6, verses 60 to 71. 
When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you in the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. And as I said before, we're going to look at this in three ways. Why is Jesus different, right? Well, let's ask the major question. Why is Jesus worthy to be followed? Who is he that he would be such an influence? There are so many people who've come and gone and teach and, and provide good ways of living life. Why is Jesus different than anything else? I mean, all of us in this room follow podcasts. All of us in this room read books. All of us listen to things day after day. Why is Jesus a different sort of what we would maybe even say influencer than anyone before that touches the deep parts of care, relationship building, trust, as we would want in anyone else? We're going to look at it these three ways. First, his words. Second, his spirit. And third, that he is the Holy One. So the words, the spirit, and the Holy One, those three markers that we'll see in here together. You know, the words, it's interesting, is mentioned here quite a bit, that word of eternal life. If you see it, Jesus mentions it first. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Peter brings this up again. In uh, verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If there's anything we look for when we seek out some sort of influencer or any sort of podcast or anything, it's content. And what we do know is uh, as much as we don't want it to be true, our phones do pick up the content we seek out. (laughs) We are being data mined. I'm being listened to right now, probably. But all of that is the fact that in our content, it recognizes what you like and your desires, what provokes you, what promotes you. I was just listening to a guy named Andy Crouch. Some of you may have heard that name. He's a great uh, thinker, uh, influencer, if you want to call him that. I don't know if he'd want to be called that. Uh, But one of the things he writes about often is that we used to relationally desire face-to-face interaction. Now we have phones that recognize our face and try and act in a personal way, but it's more just personalized, and there's a huge difference. Being personal is someone being in your life relationally. Personalized is something styled to the way that you like it. And that's the content. And what you heard maybe at the beginning of this in chapter uh, 6, verse 60, is that it begins by saying, when many of them heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? It's picking up after a beginning 
of a chapter in John chapter 6 when a, a passage that many of you may have heard of, maybe never read, but it'd be familiar to you if you have, where he feeds 5,000 people. It's the loaves and the fishes, where Jesus actually feeds 5,000 people who are coming. And who wouldn't want to follow this guy? I mean, that's like a meal ticket right there. That's awesome. It takes a little bit, gives a lot. 5,000 people are like, and it was such a big deal to them. It says in John's version that they wanted to make him king. They're like, who wouldn't be a good king that can't do this kind of stuff? And in their oppression, and that's not a light thing for them to say, we should maybe make him king. <laughs> that meant they really wanted him to rule their life. If he can give us food, if he says these great things, why don't we follow him? But the further you walk in the chapter of John, the harder it gets. Jesus begins to kind of parlay off of the bread and fish into saying, not only, hey, I've given you this bread, but I am the bread of life. He starts saying phrases like this. I am the bread of life. And they're like, okay, that's kind of strange, but we like this guy. And they continue to follow. But he keeps pushing it down further, even to say things like, my body is the bread you must eat and my blood you must drink. And so far that it gets to the point where they find themselves offended. This is why Jesus says, Are you, do you take offense at this? In verse 61. And the Greek word for, it was a hard saying, who can listen to it? Hard is the word for it being rough, too dry. It's almost like in the winter, I don't know if your hands do this, my hands get really, really dry. Even if I like try and limit washing or using moisture, they just crack. And sometimes so much so, it's just painful. And, and almost like, like on the ends of my fingertips, like crack and bleed sometimes because of the dryness. This is what they were experiencing. It wasn't that they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They didn't like it. They were saying, hey, we wanted to make this guy king, but now he's saying things like this. That doesn't sit well with me. And so they heard it and turned. They took offense at it. So much so, this is why in the first century, many of the, the surrounding culture thought that Christians who came to a table like this and they called it the body and blood were like, hey, why would you want to join those cannibals? They're strange. But Jesus continues to say, but here's the difference. He says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was? It is the Spirit that gives life, no flesh at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Peter says this, you have the words of eternal life. See, there's a difference, and when it says that, that Jesus begins to push in, his words are not just, hey, who's going to follow me, make you a good life. But there's a difference between a good life and an eternal life. And when you use the word eternal, sometimes that word, and even reading it here, can sound like this vastness, like this emptiness that just goes on forever and ever. It's actually the opposite of that. It's actually very profound, very weighty, very, if you want to put it this way, content-heavy life. And Jesus is pushing forward to say, what I'm bringing to you isn't just a good life to live like anything else. It's eternal life. It's a life that brings complete difference to the way that you see anything else. I just read a very interesting article that just caught my eye about how particularly men's studies, I don't know I was surrounding just men's studies, but 
but how much uh, Bible study is different than what people read in content outside of that. That there's an, a heightening effect of people going towards politics, philosophy, and deeper pragmatic content in their lives. And almost a separation between that and what the Bible and what Jesus is saying. Almost as if to say that, yes, Jesus brings this eternal life, this great stuff. It's kind of ethereal. I'll get to heaven one day. But you know what? Right now, I just kind of want a lot of this good stuff. I'm going to read this and that and that. Which there's nothing wrong with reading all this content and material that helps think about what does it mean to be goodness. But where does Jesus' words kind of separate there? Why have we done that? It's because we've kind of put Jesus in this camp of, okay, is eternal life just this emotional feeling of like, oh man, now I'm saved, I can just kind of do whatever? Or is eternal life his words turning back? Is it turning back to the deep profound of endless content that Jesus has given? See, here's what John draws out over and over of his words versus anything else. If you look at what Jesus says here, he he markedly shows that his words are to be followed. In fact, John draws out over and over and over in the Gospel of John, if you want to be a disciple, listen to my words, obey what I say. Follow me. If you want to love me, he even says, do what I say. Now, at first that sounds like legalism, but it's not. Any relationship does that. That's why we're seeking the content, isn't it? Why do we want so naturally, as it even said in Forbes, to follow an influencer? Because we all are made to follow. We're all made to do that. We're all seeking that. But what Jesus is getting at here is to say, if you want to know, have a rich life, listen and actually what I say. Jesus' words all through the Bible are content heavy to transform us, to see everything else about life differently. This is why when he resurrects, when he actually rises from the dead and the, the people meet him when he's risen from the dead, he doesn't just say, hey, peace be with you. It's great to see y'all. I'm here. He actually walks them from the beginning of the Bible to the end and says, this is where I am in all of it. If you want to understand what fullness of life is, I'm going to teach you. And he literally gives them the best Bible study they've ever had. By showing them what does it mean to have eternal life, life that hinges. We just sang an incredible song about that. As, as I was saying, that build my life on this. What do you build your life on? What kind of words do you build it on? It, it, we're building on something, but is it building on things that, that shape us in a way that's not just for a good betterment of life, but eternity for all of that? See, Jesus says this in a way that it's really interesting as he continues to teach them. He doesn't just talk about these words, but he talks about something that over and over in the Gospel of John that's actually pretty confusing. And he starts it by saying um, in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Now, you may have heard this in the Bible before, even if you're unfamiliar with it, the spirit, flesh, this kind of thing. But what... What is Jesus getting at there? Jesus is getting the fact that there's something about us that wants to put our emphasis on the flesh and not on, not small s spirit, but the capital S spirit. 
that the spirit, the difference with what Jesus is bringing isn't just saying, hey, you need to do better. I'm gonna bring you a lot of ways to be a disciple and it's gonna work. You gotta focus on me. But that he actually focuses on what's called the Holy Spirit, the spirit who gives life. And he's saying the flesh, meaning our intellect, the way we wanna work, the way we wanna try this on, try and be better, is, is not of use. It can't get us there. You know, I was thinking about this it sent me back to a moment in my uh, life, uh, not too terribly long ago. They, I think we'll paint a picture of this. I remember sitting in um, an Easter service. Now, it, it, you know, Easter is typically, even if you're here and you're, you're not frequenting the church, but you're visiting, Easter is the day that we celebrate, right? Jesus rising from the dead. It is to be a day of celebration, of like life, right, of everything, rejoicing, that death is conquered. And I remember sitting in this service, and I was actually a pastor, I was a campus minister at the time. So I've gone through all the things. I've studied even this stuff. Here's your pastor sitting in a pew just like you, listening, and I begin to sweat. This is not a joke. I literally began to sweat. And as the service went on, all I could try on over and over was not thank you, Jesus, for resurrecting, not joy, but saying, I need to do better for you. I need to step it up for you because you resurrected. I need to, I need to pray more. I need to be a better pastor. I need to be better at this. Do you hear what I'm doing? What I did? And I'll tell you, in the moment, I had so much anxiety. The service ended, and I was a wreck. And here it is, supposed to be Easter Sunday, the celebration of breaking of all that. What was I doing? I was going to the flesh. I was literally thinking, if I can do this, I can make it better. And that's what Jesus is actually speaking against. There's a chapter before this when he speaks to a guy named Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, who comes to him and they have this weak, I mean, you think this, this Pharisee comes to Jesus and asks the question of questions, how do I get eternal life? Like, is that not perfect? Jesus, theologian, just a little bit, you think? And Nicodemus, let's, let's talk about the chapters of that, right? now. Jesus starts talking about saying, hey, if you want to know what I mean, you have to be born again by the Spirit. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? Born again? How, I can't, you're saying I have to go back to my mother's womb? That's weird. What are you talking about? And he says, you don't understand this? It just didn't make sense. Even the word for spirit there is the word for wind. And his mind is like, wind? What you, Wind? And Jesus says, the spirit blows where it wishes. It's not something you can control. When, when our home flooded, one of the funniest things to me, hilarious, was the day after, beautiful sunshine, like there's water everywhere, yada, yada. There's nothing like it's receding. It's not that high anymore. There's a guy from literally the Weather Channel standing on my street in a slicker, like with the hood up, pretending like he's like this, and we're like walking by in shorts. We're like, what, what do you, 
And just standing there on camera like, yes, it, it was a total flood here, almost as if the flood's still happening. It's like a total miss. The weather is not that. It's not what you think it is. That's what Nicodemus is doing. He's a total miss. And Jesus is saying, if you want to understand the spirit of life, it's in every moment. It's not something you control. It comes into you. And I'm going I'm to get a little teachy for a moment because we're about to come to a table that really puts emphasis on what does it mean? The, this table in front of you, when you come to it, oftentimes you may ask questions like, what am I supposed to do? What happens at this table? You hear me use phrases. There are three major thoughts from people that come to this table. One is, okay, the, the, the wine and the bread turns into the body and blood of Jesus, that it actually transitions into that, becomes it. But what we know is that it doesn't do that. It physiologically doesn't. In the book of Hebrews and in the Bible in the New Testament, it doesn't say that Jesus descends again, that he's re-sacrificed for all of us. It even says here, the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. He sits at the right hand of God. He doesn't come back down. But also, it's funny because you may ask when I come take this, am I... Is it a memorial? Am I just remembering? Do I need to come forward and just remember really, really hard that Jesus lived and died for me? But you know as well as I do, your brain, your remembrance can't make this something different. What makes the, the wine and bread and juice and crackers into what it signifies, the body and blood of Jesus? And this is where they had a hard time, right? Right? Remember, they took offense at this. This is where they said, ugh, what does that? What links it? What, transfer, what changes you? What transforms you when you feed by faith is actually and links it. It's not one and the same. It's that the Holy Spirit takes this and goes into you and actually mysteriously, and I know even coming out of my mouth, you're like, that's amazing. It is. The content, the way that Jesus changes us by the Holy Spirit coming in us. So that when you come to this table, it's not you working so hard to make it work. And this doesn't have to work so hard to make it work. It's that the Holy Spirit makes it work. So that you become more and more like him. That even while you stare at me and go, is this going to be a super long sermon today? Do you know he's at work in you right now? The very thing that we pray, that Brad and I prayed, who was up here earlier, that we as a staff pray every week, that, that, that Parker and his team pray for our services to be, is do what I cannot do and what you cannot do. Lord, move in us, change us, and make us more like you. You want to know what it means to follow Jesus? It means you can't control it in a way that makes you better. But you lean into the relationship that Jesus gives you with the heavenly father and you are being made better. That's why you can take up communion. You can take up the Bible. You can go into Bible studies, church. These, they're called means of grace, means by which you see your savior, savior larger. Not works of grace, not ends of grace where you come to this table and yeah, that's it, I got this. But it's a means by which you see the holy one. And that's what Jesus is. You know, at the end of this passage, starts in 60, verse 66, 
After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Imagine that. Now, these are disciples. Notice the description John gives them. He doesn't say, after this many of the crowds, after this many of the Pharisees, after this many of the people. He says, this many of the disciples. That means they were learners. That's the, what the word disciple means. Mathetes, learn. They took in his sermons. They took in his world. And they turned back. And the reason they did is because Jesus is who he is. He's not one that we're to make our king. He's not one to to put him in a position that we want him to be the influencer that we can just stop following and follow someone else. Okay. He lets them go. And he turns to the disciples, the 12. This is the first place uh, that the 12 disciples are actually mentioned here. It says, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And for him to use that phrase was huge. A Jewish person would not use Holy One of God, a phrase that was used in Psalm 71, that was used in Isaiah, that was used in many other places in the Old Testament to describe God himself as the Holy One of Israel. And now applied to Jesus? Why would he do that? Because to follow him means you're not just following something else. You're following him who who lets you see all of everything else in a different way. The song we sang, Build My Life, earlier, I don't know if you thought about it for a moment, but you just sang with me a song where you say, holy, there is no one like you, There is none before you. And then we sang, I will build my life on you. Do you know what we're saying when we sing that? We're saying, I will build all of my life around you. I will exclusively look to you to make sense of who I am. I will look to you as the only one who's set apart as holy. And that is a really hard thing. Because that starts to move into the category of Okay, what, is this the exclusivity thing? But I want to throw out to you, yes. Jesus is honestly being exclusive, but the most inclusive of exclusive that we can understand. Because if you follow what, who Jesus is, the people that come to his table, the people that surround him, the people that the Pharisees, everybody else is like, why do these sinners and tax collectors flock to him and eat with him? It's because he brings in people that you would never think. They follow him and want to become transformed by him. See, every religion needs to be honest that it is exclusive. Every philosophy we read, everything we want to pursue, it is exclusively seeking you out. We want to be in that category. There are two illustrations that have been thrown out over the years, and one is the paths of the mountain, and one is about the elephant, blind people and the elephant. Have you ever heard these before? One is about, oh, there, there's a mountain. There are tons of paths. They go up the mountain. Everybody has their path, they all, but they all lead up to the mountain. 
It's a great illustration of trying to encourage what is, you know, there are multiple ways to get there. Now, shared faiths have a lot of morality that they share, but why is Jesus? Jesus isn't just sharing morality here. He's saying something further. He's not saying, I want you to be a holy person. He's saying, he is the holy one. And where that illustration tends to break down is, who can see the path? How do you know you're on the path? Well, everybody says I'm on a path up the mountain, but someone is saying what? I can see the whole mountain. They all reach to the top. See, at some point, it all breaks down to say, we're all exclusive. (laughs) Even when you say there's no absolute truth, you just made an absolute truth. Jesus is saying who he is, what this means is that Jesus is saying, I'm not just like anybody. If you want to follow me, if you want to know what it means, you got to build your life on the fact that this is who I am. And then I'm not just saying you need to better your life. I'm going to help you. But I'm the holy one of God. And he says it in two ways, in certainty and humility. And that's how we need to be transformed by that. It is okay for us to understand that Jesus is saying this over and over. I don't know if you noticed the number of ways that Jesus said, I'm in control in this passage. I chose you. Did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? Talking about Judas. Jesus is in control the whole time, and yet he does so not just with certainty, but with humility. There's a book um, called Severe Mercy by a guy named Sheldon Van Auken, who talks about his conversion to Christianity. And I want, to, I want to read this to you as we kind of close. Think about this certainty and humility. He wrote where he reached a point where he and his wife began to wrestle with what Christians actually believed. He was not a Christian. He was in England and, and part of an Oxford community with professors and others. He said, what was happening was that our mind's gaze, almost without knowing it, was being directed towards the Christian faith that animated our living contemporary friends. We became interested, absorbed in a study of Christianity right from the start. Though still it was only a study, after this period of reading various Christian apologists and others, Van Arken said, I writhed a bit at the thought of my easy know-nothing easy know contempt of other years, that he began to like doubt the way that he doubted how his friends were. Most of the people who reject Christianity know almost nothing of what they are rejecting. Thank God, that's what he said. And the reason he could say that, and as he even said later, that all the people that he looked down on who were a part of this, who were following Jesus, not just Christianity, so the difference between following Christianity and following Christ began following Christ. That it transformed his life by the way that they showed the certainty of where they, who they loved and how their humility of how they loved Van Hawkins. And he was brought to faith. See, this table is an interesting table because it does exactly what this passage talked about. It talks about body and blood It talks about things that if you step back for a moment, they're kind of strange. You can see why in the first century they were like, are they a bunch of cannibals? 
Like, why do they keep coming to a table they cut body and blood? Because if you want to know what it means to follow, if you want to know what it means, it gets to the core of what you want to have an influencer that you, you that brings the, the true content that transforms who you are. They have to enter into you. And Jesus, different than any other philosophy, ideal, or religion, doesn't just come and say, come take of this table and you'll be made different. He says, come take of my sacrifice. The Holy One of God becomes the one who is the sacrifice so that we might be made holy. I've already explained what this table is when you come to it. And when you do, I encourage you strongly don't come and try and work your way to the table or work to remember things. Come to the table with thanksgiving. That there's a God who says, I'm not just going to try and influence you by throwing and lobbing words at you. I'm going to become the word. So that you may take me in you and mysteriously transform you to make you more like me. There's been no other influencer in history and in life who's done that. No one has ever set a table like this before in order that those who come take of it might become like them in that way. Praise be to God for his grace, his mercy, that you don't have to come to this table figuring it out. But if you're here this morning, you go, I don't know if I would say he's the holy one. I think he's a great teacher. I don't know if I would continue following him, but I'm here to think about it. I would encourage you not to come and take like everybody else because that's what you're doing. You don't want to come and disingenuously take body and blood of Jesus and then act like you know what you're talking about. Like, don't, no one wants to do that. Come and grab me. Come and grab someone else. Let's talk about it. And then let's actually think about what it means to take it up. And if you're here this morning, you say, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Praise be to God. Come to this table. And be encouraged that the Holy One has given himself for you. Let's stand together.